brace yourself because you're about to dive into another free first hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. And we just want to let you know that whether you're looking for a companion through your paranoid insomnia, entertaining yourself through one of life's mundane activities, or trying to ward off the internal screams of all those sad, smothered souls around the office, THC is here. And you should know that every episode of the Higher Side Chats has an entire second hour for Plus members. Sign up at thehiresidechats.com and you'll get years of Plus show archives, lifetime forum access, a special invite to Greg Carlwood's monthly joint sessions, MP3s of THC music, bonus episodes, tour videos, and 10% off t-shirts, grinders, and whatever else ends up in the Higher Side store. It's $8 a month that you won't miss, so become a Plus member and treat yourself in these troubled times. Always action-packed and commercial-free, which means you'll unfortunately never hear my voice again. In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. All right, Higher Side Chatters from sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood, and as we cross over the one-year marker for coronavirus chaos and pandemic protocols... Many areas of the country and the world are still struggling to get back to normal, reclaim their way of life, and get permission from Big Daddy to come back out into the light of day. It's a campaign I never really expected to get as draconian as it has, and its success for the social controllers has me concerned that these types of things will be with us well into the future. Because it all played out more like a Rockefeller wet dream than a true public health overhaul of the suboptimal ways we've been living. Not a word about healthy diets as they closed the local farm-to-table restaurants and let fast food drive-thrus wrap around the block. No recommendations to get out into nature and enjoy soaking up the sunshine. Instead, they filled skate parks with sand, closed public areas, and even roped off the beaches. Zero acknowledgement of the role stress and fear play on our well-being as they piled on as much of it as humanly possible. And no drastic new corporate restrictions on air pollution or attempts to clean up our sludge-soiled environment. Just masks for the people and a daily dose of paranoia. Despite how you feel about the coronavirus itself, I think we can all agree that the proposed solutions and the lack of anything related to true health both tell us more than enough about their motivations and trustworthiness as we enter the vaccine-only solution phase, which I worry is going to play out a lot more like stopping a headache with a sledgehammer. Well, lucky for those of us who see through the lies and seek a better way, we have people like today's returning guest Clive DeCarl, who has dedicated himself to educating the people on true health and wellness and provides much-needed natural solutions for a profoundly sick society. Clive was here in the much different world of 2017, telling us about his experience of having a serious adverse reaction to antibiotics for a minor health problem, spiraling into type 1 diabetes and crippling arthritis. With no solutions offered from the medical machine, Clive went on a journey of independent research and natural supplementation, which not only reversed the damage and confirmed that the medical establishment knows very little about the true pillars of optimal health, but it also set him on his path of spreading the good word and helping countless people reclaim their quality of life. You can find his ongoing research, secret health club, and perfected list of health products at clivedecarl.com. 
And I know I'm psyched to hear from him again, especially after the unprecedented year we've had. So let's get into it. The seed-sprouting sage of the natural ways, captain of the secret health club, and true light in the darkness. Clive, my man, welcome back to the higher side. Thank you, Greg. What a fabulous introduction. Thank you. Yes, man, I try. And this is a real pleasure. I can't believe that last interview was in 2017 because I still think of it as one of the best health shows we've done around here. And after 2020, I think your perspective is needed more than ever. To get us started, I noticed that the phrase we talked about last time is still front and center on your website. And it reads, there are only three reasons why we lose our health, physical damage, toxicity, and nutrient deficiency. There is no fourth reason. Something that probably sounds a bit more radical now than it did then, but remind us why this is still true and so important to keep in mind. Well, the last part of that quote is, you are not low on pharmaceutical drugs. (laughs) Doctors go ahead as if we are deficient in drugs. And clearly that's not the case. But how many of us are deficient in vitamins, minerals, amino acids, and essential fats. Well, everybody, just everybody, you meet everybody. Mm -hmm. And now it's more vital than ever because stress burns through nutrients, particularly things like vitamin C and zinc and magnesium. So we're all way more stressed than we were a couple of years ago, clearly. Everybody is more stressed than I think probably most of them have ever been. We're in a warlike situation where you know i never thought that with all those predictive programming movies they've been pumping out for decades they would actually end up a bit like a zombie apocalypse movie where the vast majority of the population has been hypnotized you know mk ultra on steroids you might say you know suddenly the world's gone totally bonkers yes it is so true and I know you've done some work with Dr. Andy Kaufman and are pretty in line with Del Bigtree. Both are people who have different opinions that were here in 2020. And I'm sure there's even more overlap there in the people that we've both talked to. But I am curious what you think is responsible for what we've seen in 2020. We know most people are living in a state of poor health. It doesn't take much to push them over the edge. Fear and stress, as you say, were pumped to insane new heights and burned through all our uh, minerals and vitamins. We know the PCR test and policies of assumed diagnosis have made the numbers that flash across the TV screen look extra scary and intimidating. But at the same time, many of us have lost friends and family. I know people who aren't particularly paranoia prone or unhealthy who did have a sick week and they lost their sense of smell and taste. And to them, it was pretty unprecedented. So I can't just ignore that. But What is your assessment? How do we make sense of all this conflicting information and data? Okay. Well, let me just go cover taste and smell. If somebody loses their taste and smell, which appears to be one of the effects that a lot of people have experienced, you can almost guarantee that that is a zinc deficiency. And if you think you might have a zinc deficiency, you can just look at your fingernails, see if you've got any little white dots on your fingernails. If you do, then that's a severe zinc deficiency. But even if your nails are fine, you might still have a zinc deficiency. So the figures in England are that the death rate last year was nothing different statistically to the year before, 
if you look 20 years ago in England, the death rate was always higher every year than it was in 2020. So 2020 has been roughly about the same as 2017. In England, the flu has disappeared. It's not diagnosed anymore. It's like it's disappeared. But every year, you know, people get pneumonia and bronchitis and lung issues. And I think that now it's just highlighted. We all know people who've had pneumonia, but we didn't make a big thing about it. But the thing that I think people need to know perhaps the most is in England, we've got the equivalent of VAERS, you know, VAERS, the adverse reactions to vaccines reporting system. And here we have the yellow card. So the number of yellow card reports in England are about 110,000, which means that there have been 110,000 adverse reactions. Now, I reckon that, well, out of everybody I've asked who's not in the health field, nobody so far has known what a yellow card reporting scheme is or that it existed. So let's say that 10% of that 110,000 adverse reactions got reported. That could mean that over 1 million people out of the 20 million vaccinated had an adverse reaction. Anyway, I interviewed Dr. Kaufman about four or five days ago, and I asked him in the United States how many people know that the VAERS reporting system exists and that they should, and that's an important word, should report. He reckoned less than 1% of the adverse reactions are being reported. So in the press, they state that there's no need to worry because doctors should report adverse reactions. Now, in England, in law, should means, well, that would be an awfully good idea. You don't have to do it, but that would be best practice. You know, the word should doesn't mean you must. It means you, you know, it'd be a good thing if you did, right? You should. And so people assume that should means must. So the adverse reactions aren't being reported. So I went to my local doctor and I went in and said, can you tell me in this practice, how many adverse reactions have you reported from the vaccines? And they said zero, hmm. none. Now, we all know that there are adverse reactions. So the fact they're not reporting any at all, what are the real numbers out there? How many millions of people in the States have had a reaction? I mean, it could just be a sore arm but a lot of people are dying. The mother of a friend of mine, she was 84 years old, so healthy, never had a vaccine ever, didn't go to the doctor, playing tennis, you know, life as it should be at 84. You know, some people would not think that, but it, that is, life at 84 should be, we're playing tennis. So she had a vaccine for the others. She did it for the others. Kidney failure ends up in hospital. Um, you know, really, really seriously damaged. The reason I'm doing what I do now is that 35 years ago, I was given one drug by a doctor and that destroyed my health, left me type 1 diabetic and a whole host of things. So I am very, very wary. No doctor's ever going to put anything in me again. It's just not going to happen. And people need to wake up to the fact that they've been deeply hypnotized by a bunch of lies. It's frightening, but the way to stay healthy, I mean, for me, 15 years ago, I started taking 10,000 IUs of vitamin D in winter, and I used to get colds every year. Suddenly, I'm not getting colds ever again. Never had one since, not even a sniffle. You know, vitamin D 
why do colds happen in winter? Well, you know, the lack of sunshine, lack of vitamin D. Mm-hmm. And then so zinc, vitamin D, and then vitamin C. If you've got enough vitamin C and the amount you need varies on how well or ill you are, it's very difficult to get ill with those three. I mean, there are other factors. But right now, people have really got to think ahead. You know, there are going to be shortages of everything. Mm. You know, food to supplies or whatever, and people now need to stock up with whatever they might need just in case things don't run as smoothly as we'd like. You know, we know that soya harvest is failing worldwide, and as they feed all the animals on soya, that means there's going to be a shortage of animal products, and some countries have already bought up a lot of supplies. You know, so personally, I'm thinking very, very seriously of expanding the amount of food I'm growing and becoming more self-sufficient. And I think if it's possible that people can do that, it's a wise idea. Even if somebody's on the 35th floor of a tower block, they can get seeds, they can get lentils, and they can get garbanzo beans, they can get any type of beans with the exception of kidney beans. They can start sprouting sunflower seeds, pumpkin seeds, anything you like, broccoli seeds, alfalfa seeds. You know, seeds don't need light. All they need is water and then to be left damp, and they will sprout. So you can come home with a a pound of seeds or beans, dried beans, and you can soak them and sprout them. And with, say, three or four days later, you came in with one pound, you've now got four pounds in weight because they've sprouted and grown and they've come alive from dormant to powerful. So all that unleashed energy from the plant the previous year is now upping the vitamin content, I don't know, 25%, 50%, who knows, upping the mineral content substantially because you brought it from dormant to alive. And I think we need to start thinking ahead a little bit. I mean, I'm hugely optimistic about everything, but at the same time, I want to be comfortable in my optimism And I think everybody needs to not only make sure they've got the dried foods they might possibly want and water figured out, but also things like vitamin C and zinc and vitamin D and so on, so that if they or their friends or anybody gets ill, they've got cheap remedies that, if you get the dose right, work instantly. I mean, really instantly. I've had people in five minutes get benefits. It doesn't always happen that way, of course, but it can. Mm-hmm. Yes, man. You've touched on so many important things already. And I do think people are just predisposed to argue and separate themselves into camps. And so the coronavirus question has been difficult because so many people have different opinions, whether they think it's some kind of gain of function, lab created virus or not a virus at all and something more like an exosome or even 5G, the common ground amongst all of these people does seem to be that whatever you think it is, if your health is optimized, it's not really a problem for you. This isn't like getting struck by lightning where there's nothing you can do about it and you get hit with it and now you're just screwed. That's how the news presents it to us. But Even amongst alternative researchers, that is the commonality, that if you get your health right, you really don't have anything to worry about, 
And that is good mental medicine for the stress and fear because the power is yours. You do have the control and a lot of people just need to seize it. Well, you know, how many people in the United States are ill or on pharmaceuticals? Well, most of them. Now, imagine you went to Africa on a safari holiday and 60% of the lions were on pharmaceutical drugs and limping or not well. And, or if you went to the zoo and the animals in the zoo were ill, right? What would be the first question you'd ask? Well, what are you feeding these animals? Right. Right? What are you feeding? Because normally they're fine. So it's got to be the food. So most people really need to examine are they poisoning themselves? Are they poisoning mum, granny, and the kids? Because most food contains poisons. Just simple as that. Do you want to poison granny? Do you want to poison the baby? Well, we've got to eat food that's natural and hasn't had poison sprayed on it. Most people are buying food with poisons in. You know, if you had a little baby, you wouldn't poison the baby, but people are. People are every day. They're literally poisoning the baby because they're I mean, let me give you an example. Most people these days don't give a baby, once it's going onto solid food, one food alone. What they often do is they buy a jar of mixed fruits or mixed vegetables. And this is terrible for the baby. A baby normally would have one food at a time, and you'd quickly know whether it liked that one food or not. But if you mix five fruits together, for a baby as a mush, and the baby doesn't like one of those fruits, it can't tell you. So, oh, the baby doesn't like fruit, full stop. You know, people have got to examine what they're eating and what they're feeding each other. You know, our ancestors, before, let's say, central heating or electricity or cars or shops, managed to keep everybody alive. And, you know, people in the old days really only died of about three things war childbirth, but otherwise they tended to live quite a long time and a visit to most graveyards sort of shows that. So without so many of the modern comforts and perhaps the regularity of food, they did well, but of course everybody grew their own food and it would have been right outside the back door and it would have been seasonal, local and super fresh the moment the food's you know, been sitting around for a day. So many, particularly the vitamins, are gone. The minerals would still be all there. But the vitamins deteriorate so fast, so we're all low on vitamins. So how to be bulletproof, you know, how to be well for the rest of your life should just simply involve putting all those missing nutrients back, you know, and trying not to poison oneself <laughs> with toxins. Yes. That is a good point about the baby food. I often wonder that about even pet food because we raise our pets – from the beginning to the end on this Purina dry kibble, which has really no nutrients in it at all. And I've always wondered, like, maybe a dog can live more than nine years or 11 years. It's just like we don't really even have a, a good control group to even look at because all of our pets are on this kind of stuff. So there's just so many questions and so many backwards processes to industrialize society. It is quite sad. I knew a vet who said that when dogs and cats came in, that he could tell the owner what tinned food they were getting by whether they had kidney disease, well, it was this make, whether it was 
they could tell which disease by which wrong food they were getting because, I mean, dogs shouldn't get diseases. I know somebody just recently passed away in their sleep, you know, and this is how to go. Mm-hmm. I agree. And to get into the the vaccine, which is really the crux of the issue to me that we're going to be dealing with, you mentioned it a little bit, but I do think the real scary phase is still ahead. So many people are getting the jab, as they say. Honestly, outside of my wife and parents, the vast majority of people in my life are actively seeking it out if they haven't got it already. I'm sure many listeners are in that same boat, but talk to us about your thoughts on where this is really headed in the next couple of years. Well, some years ago, I was working with an English outfit called UK Column, and I did a show all about vaccines in the past and how it's always been a con. But the smallpox vaccine worked. No, it didn't. Look into it and you'll see it's always been a con. It's all about the money. And I think people are very brave at the moment because they are taking an untested gene modifying. It's not a vaccine. It's a gene modification technology. They're injecting into their bodies substances unknown. You know, it's not like the ingredients list has been published. They're just trusting the science. Well, there is no science. It's all fraud. It's all fake. And unfortunately, you know, what's going to happen to the people who've taken this gene-modifying substance long-term? Well, nobody knows, of course. Nobody knows. They're giving it to pregnant women. I mean, you know, untested, untried gene therapy, never before in the world. Never before in the world have healthy people been locked up and forced to wear masks. And I was speaking to somebody who's a cancer specialist. She was saying that since the vaccine, she's been seeing way more vaginal hemorrhage than is normal, seeing throat cancers, which she's sure is due to the microparticles coming off the masks. I mean, the suicide rates are ludicrous. A lot of people's businesses have gone bust. The health of children has been destroyed. And the idea that a vaccine is what we're low on. We're low on, as we mentioned, nutrients and so on. We're not low on a vaccine. This is not how the body works. I've got an immune system, thank you very much. Serve we all. And our immune systems have worked brilliantly in the past. I mean, if pandemics really existed like they say, well, there's no proof of it. I mean, I was talking to Andy Kaufman about this the other day, and my video with him is online everywhere except YouTube. And we were talking about what's going on. I asked him, well, what about the Black Death then? You know, it's the question people ask me a lot. What about the Spanish flu? You know, vast quantities of Europe died. Well, he said, well, obviously we don't really know what went on, but what if a volcano went off in the 15th century or whenever it was? And that was what killed a third of the population. What if, you know, what if something, something else other than the idea of a, a theory, you know, virus is only a theory, it's not a proven fact, it's a theory. Maybe it was something else. And then, you know, like Arthur Furstenberg says in the Invisible Rainbow book, that when radio happened, when electricity happened, the canaries in the coal mines, some of them really suffered. And look at what happened in Bhutan 
when they put in electricity in the 1960s. You know, they'd had doctors there and they knew what diseases were what. Suddenly, when there was electricity and now radio frequencies going around the country, all sorts of illnesses that really had never existed significantly statistically before suddenly came into being in line with Western diseases. So there's lots of proof that the Spanish flu was a combination of poisoning with aspirin because the soldiers came back from World War I saying what a wonderful painkiller it was and that incidentally it lowered temperature from a fever. At that point, it wasn't appreciated that a fever is a necessary thing to overcome a bacterial infection, for example. But people started getting whatever the Spanish flu was, feeling ill, and taking aspirin to lower their temperature, and that made them worse. Then radio frequencies were knocking them out, and it's so easy to prove that a number of other factors other than the theory of a virus wiping out millions of people, but we're all told it was the Spanish flu, it was the Black Plague, there's no doubt about it, it was a virus, that was it. And while it's difficult for people to accept such an idea, the fact is that it's all about how healthy the person is. It's got nothing to do with nasty germs floating about. It's all about if you're healthy or not, even down to radiation. You know, if you've got enough iodine in every cell of your body, then the radioactive iodine that's coming out of nuclear power plants like Fukushima, the radioactive iodine has nowhere to go in your body if you're replete in iodine. So the Japanese are more than replete in it because they're eating seaweed all the time. So they've got loads of iodine. But if you're living away from a coast and you're not eating sea fish or you're not eating seaweed, you might have a thyroid issue, which could be fixed for a few cents worth of iodine. Iodine's so inexpensive, $25 or something for a year's supply. And it was so important 100 years ago that the American government mandated it. Iodized salt and iodized bread was made law to stop the thyroid epidemic. Then, you know, lobbies persuaded government to do away with that law and they recreated the thyroid epidemic of, what, 150 years ago. Hmm. Yes, great points. And on the subject of the Black Death, I mean, it is more than just a what-if suggestion. I think the book is called New Light on the Black Death, but there are environmental anomalies recorded in tree rings and ice core samples that definitely prove a really weird environmental issue going on at that time. Was it a volcano or an asteroid? I don't know, but it was something that definitely is recorded in concrete information. Even though we weren't there, it is the best thing we have. But you have to look at that. Here's this pocket of history where they say there was something going around killing a bunch of people that they're equating to a virus. And then we have this also, this data recorded in uh, ice core samples and tree rings that suggest a real suboptimal uh, environment. And they have to be correlated, I would think. But in one of your recent videos, you read straight from the information on one of the vaccines or experimental gene technology, as you say. I think it might have been the AstraZeneca one. 
But it mentions that the contents contain a blend of chimera DNA or a blend of uh, chimp DNA and something else. Can you talk to us about that a little bit? Like, it's really not hyperbole. It's written right on the package, right? Well, I'm afraid so. I mean, you know, when the first vaccine was developed, it was Dr. Edward Jenner who had the idea of taking pus from a pox and rubbing that onto somebody else and claiming that that would prevent them from smallpox. And what then had to happen is they had to take this, whatever it was, the pus or the virus particle, whatever it was they were trying to grow into a vaccine. So they had to grow it in a medium, and they chose at the beginning eggs, chicken eggs. So right from the start, the vaccines contained the DNA of a chicken that you were going to inject into you. So starting with pus and DNA of a foreign being being injected, and the only, you, know, you could eat as much DNA of a chicken as you like, but there are barriers. But when you inject it, there are no barriers. So then they thought, well, chickens, come on, we're, we're not like chickens. And they started using monkeys. They used dogs. And you know, so monkey kidneys, dog kidneys, that was very popular to grow your virus in. What could be wrong with that? So then the latest blend is, you know, modified RNA where they've taken some of the DNA, I think it's from the lung tissue of an aborted 14-week-old male fetus. And you're know, injecting somebody with the DNA of a male if you're a woman, well, maybe that might have an effect on gender and confusion, maybe, in the other way around. Anyway, mixing aborted fetal cells with chimpanzee cells. So, you know, people are no longer human. The ones who have been vaccinated, not really. They're chimeras, which is a blend of two species. Hmm. Sounds like fun. <laughs> yes, it seems like quite a dangerous game to be playing. And to my knowledge, every SARS or coronavirus vaccine attempt has kind of gone the same way. It seemed like it worked at first. Then they draw blood of the animals they test on. They find the antibodies. Great. That's what they're looking for. But then, at least in the animal trials, they take it one step further and inject them with the actual virus they're trying to inoculate. And the antibodies latch onto it and draw it deeper into the cells and cause a cytokine storm, as they say, or complete immune system failure that when people or animals encounter the virus that they got vaccinated for in the natural environment later, it does so much more damage. And that is uh, a scary proposition when you think about this mass campaign and what the next decade or half a decade is going to look like. Well, I mean, why should we be scared when most of the world is getting injected with an untested, it's not a vaccine, and all the previous experiments with animals have failed? So it's never worked so far. But this time, I mean, yeah, we are animals. The last time I looked, it's going to work this time. <laughs> exactly. And one of the best interviews that you've done recently, in my opinion, was this one with Dr. Robert Verkirk uh, of the Alliance for Natural Health, because he was talking about the swine flu vaccine that a lot of people actually did get. I mean, this situation came and went and it just seemed like a news story, but they did get a lot of people to line up and take a vaccine for it. 
And that wasn't harmless. It caused lifelong narcolepsy in a lot of young, healthy people that weren't sick. And it also took six years to realize. And that's a big deal. Well, you know, the thing to remember is that vaccines are a con. I mean, one of the things in World War One, after the, you know, the Spanish flu, was they gave vaccines to millions of people. And maybe they didn't die from the Spanish flu. Maybe they died from the vaccine. And I think there's a lot of evidence to say that is the case. I mean, if we were the planet, right, if you were the planet, and you've got these pesky humans messing the place up rather badly, well, what would you do? Well, we might decide, well, I'm really sorry about this, but the really stupid ones have really got to go. And we're not going to kill them or anything, but we're going to give them the opportunity to commit suicide. And they're stupid enough. They will take this untested thing and, uh, well, you know, see what happens. But I don't know. So I despair that people who seemed intelligent enough are hypnotized to such a degree that they're lost. There's no persuading them. But I think if enough people die, maybe that'll wake them up. But I don't know. Nobody knows what the long-term effects of this thing thing is. But anybody who hasn't taken it, they need to absolutely not do so. And don't be, you know, in England, loads of people took the vaccine because the government said, if you take the vaccine, you'll be able to go on holiday. You'll be able to travel. Now there's, you get fined £5,000 if you attempt to leave the country without a government-granted excuse. But unless you're rich, because if you're rich, to go on holiday, all you're going to do is pay a £5,000 fee, and you're fine. Poor can't travel, obviously, if you're rich. I mean, it's insane. So all these people were lied to by the British government. Lied to. Mm. Yes, it's quite sad. And you mentioned VAERS, the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, and even the fact that the cultural awareness is only at about 1%. There have been studies, there's one from Harvard Medical School where they looked at this reporting system and they concluded that only 1% of vaccine injuries are being reported and that's quite scary. But if a person has a heart attack or stroke, especially an older person, doctors don't ask which vaccines they've gotten in the last 10 years. They just assume it's an isolated random event, even though heart attack and stroke can be side effects from some vaccines. So that's a, a big flaw in what's supposed to be really concrete, rigorous, scientific study and data collection. They're just not equating those things. Vaccines are assumed to be safe automatically, even though when people die of things that seem random, they are associated with some vaccines and they never make it to the reporting. So, I mean, Del Bigtree's talked about this and he basically says, based on some of that data, it means that the 63,000 reports a year of some kind of damage at 1% would really represent closer to 6 million vaccine injuries a year. It's quite scary stuff, but it's not hard to see how so many things go unreported when doctors and hospitals don't even equate that the two could be related. Well, yeah, leading cause of death, arguably, is doctors. You know, when doctors go on strike, less people die in every case that's been recorded. Really? 
yeah, Israel, South Africa, a few places doctors have gone on strike. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. I didn't know we had that kind of uh, data sample, but wow, very telling. Another element that worries me going forward is just that a major symptom of those animal coronavirus vaccine studies that we have was severe respiratory problems, which is what we're primed to believe is COVID-19. So when a few years pass after the vaccine and a person develops these symptoms, the news will just tell us that it's a new, deadlier strain and people will maintain their cognitive dissonance over the vaccine or lack of a vaccine, even when presented with damage from it firsthand. So you know, sometimes I think of the silver lining being like, well, maybe people will wake up even though it'll be in the face of tragedy. And then I think about how this playbook is going to roll out a few steps ahead. And it seems like they've got all their bases covered, even when there is a massive reaction from people. And that's kind of sad. Well, I'm sure they'll try and blame it on some new variant or something like that. Right. So, what can one do to just be prepared? And I think probably the cheapest thing, least expensive thing one could do would be to buy a nebulizer. You can buy a little battery-powered nebulizer for $30, gets a reasonable one online. And if you were to buy some 3% hydrogen peroxide or you had some Lugol's iodine, or you could use bicarbonate of soda with water, a whole number of things you could put in a nebulizer. And if you have any lung problems, or you thought you had an, you know, like a bacterial infection or something going on, you could just nebulize the liquid, and with a little portable nebulizer, it turns liquid into water vapor. And so you can just breathe that in, and it might soothe your throat and go right down into the lungs, which the surface area of which, as you know, is sort of huge. And so for a tiny investment and a few drops of liquid, which would be a liquid cost you zero pretty much, you can overcome uh, a lot of breathing problems. There are a number of things you can do. Let me give you an example of something extraordinary that happened to me. You know, I'm lucky because I've got some sort of bits of equipment and I've got an ozone generator, cost me about, I don't know, $800 or something, and a second-hand oxygen concentrator, $300. Anyway, I'd been in Mexico, and I'd eaten a bad prawn, and I'd lost my voice. I'd become actually very ill. I don't know what it was, the bacteria, but I could barely function, couldn't barely get out of bed. Anyway, I flew back to England, and I breathed, ozone. I bubbled it through a lot of olive oil that makes it safe to breathe. Within one minute, I could speak again. Within one minute. And I overwhelmed, if it was a bacterial infection, which I believe it was, I overwhelmed it. So bacteria can replicate very, very fast. So taking, let's say you wanted to beat it with vitamin C, taking vitamin C once or twice a day isn't quick enough. Um, you know, there's Dr. Andrew Saul who's got the famous video, Reverse Pneumonia in Three Hours, where he takes two grams of vitamin C every six minutes. And within three hours, you know, his temperature's dropped, all his symptoms of pneumonia have ended. 
So I reckon if that was, say, a bacteria, well, whatever it was, he outraced it. He worked faster than it did. His immune system was working faster than the whatever it was could attack. Hmm. Impressive. Those little anecdotes and examples, I think they're very helpful for people who just have a hard time going against the grain. I know it can be difficult. The mainstream medical system is so aggressive and pervasive that it's kind of risky or it feels risky to take these things into our own hands, even though it's actually the opposite. It's far less risky, but it just it's hard to stick to our guns in the face of such massive propaganda. But I like hearing those little examples. And I know you've got a ton of them because you've helped so many people. Well, I mean, let me give you another example of vitamin C. You know, I mean, many people know how wonderful vitamin C is in various ways, you know, anti-inflammatory and it's like antihistamine type thing. It's an antibiotic, but safe. It's many, many things. But few people realize that if pregnant women take vitamin C, they have, I believe the statistic is nine times less tearing when giving birth, nine times less tearing if they have a sufficient amount of vitamin C, which is a lot. And people giving birth who have a sufficient amounts of magnesium, which is a lot, have much quicker, easier, less painful births. And you know, I've got this thing I think you maybe know called the Secret Health Club. And on the Secret Health Club, there's a birth page which has some incredible videos. There's one with Elena Tonetti, who I interviewed for a couple of hours, and she reckons that with a little bit of teaching, over 40% of women can have a pain-free birth, hmm. right? She teaches orgasmic birth. So there's a fine line between pleasure and pain. And women are having painful births. Women are meant to be squatting, not lying down with their feet up in the air. You know, it's anti-gravity. It's insane. And so other things on, on say, the birth page, I'm particularly pleased with that page. I interviewed a woman who teaches children how to see without using their eyes. So she completely blindfolds them. You know, they can see not a chink of light. And between the ages of three and I think 13 is the oldest child, sometimes within minutes, she teaches them how to see blindfolded. So I asked, well, is that, are they somehow activating their third eye or something? She said, no, no, no. And the children, when you ask the children, they say, we're seeing with our inner light. And that video is still on YouTube, actually. People want to look for it. Or it's on the Secret Health Club. So there's that one, super important. Then there's a video showing how babies have language when they're born. There's a woman called Priscilla Dunstan, who was a musical prodigy, and she heard her child making these noises just before they started crying there was a noise and then a noise and then if there was no response then they would turn into a cry and she worked out that there are these basic sounds that babies make all across the world which is you know i'm hungry i've got wind i need to have a poo i'm tired that kind of thing so there's a video about that how to recognize these sounds so yeah i decided i'd what was happening was YouTube were taking down all my videos, or not all of them, but the interesting ones. Mm -hmm. So I decided I'd start this thing, which I called the Secret Health Club, and it's a paid membership. 
thing to put the stuff that I can't tell you about because of the regulations here in England and, you know, to an extent in America as well. That's awesome. People sometimes scoff at the paywall membership set up because the internet for a long time conditioned us to think that everything should be free, but it's only free if you're paying with your time through ads or worse, your data and your habits used to make the ads more effective and manipulative. But we're learning that if you want information that is outside of the bland, vanilla corporate ecosystem, it's going to have to be paid for. But the silver lining for us is that it is another layer of protection from deplatforming, or maybe worse in some cases, but it is what it is. So in your situation, I think it's a great club to have set up, and I'll definitely check out the birth and babies section, because my wife and I are at least having that conversation about entering into the next stage of life. Having a bit too much fun now, but it is on the table. And while we're on that subject, when it comes to pregnant women... Conventionally, they're told to make a few changes. Don't eat this, don't eat that. I'm curious your thoughts on if some of the usual health advice that you talk about would need to be amended or adjusted for pregnancy. I know you advocate a lot of vitamin C, magnesium, and iodine. Would that all still be true? I would think that if something's good for us, it's probably good for us in all stages of life, maybe at different dosage levels, but... What are your thoughts on some of this stuff and the baby growing phase? <laughs> well, I would suggest that if one had lots of time, that planning a couple of years in advance before getting pregnant, so the man and the woman can both pay attention to their health so that when they create the baby, that it's given the optimum chance. There's a book called Nourishing Traditions, ah. written by Sally Fallon. Yes, she was a recent guest of mine, actually. All right, well, there you go. You see, most people would think that a hospital birth is safer than a home birth, and it's completely the opposite. You know, hospital births are dangerous. They're insane. The whole system is terrible. You know, I did a lot of hypnosis work years ago, and... You can have pain-free births using hypnosis, having a subliminal CD running, which you know, is below audible while giving birth. I mean, the, you, know, you go into a hospital and they give pertussin, you know, an artificial oxytocin. They do induction. You know, they say, oh, your baby is in trouble. Do you mind if we fit a fetal heart monitor? And if you're sensitive, you don't want to listen to this. So a fetal heart monitor, well, that must be good for baby. So they attach, I don't even want to say it, they screw a screw into the baby's skull, basically, and it's just outrageous. Anyway, some of the things they do are unspeakable. Taking a baby out into bright light, putting a hat on its head, rubbing it down with chemicals rather than putting it straight on the mother's chest. They clamp the cord. No animal in the world clamps the cord. Why do they do that? Well, initially, there were reasons of mess and blood, but now it's because they can sell the cord blood for fortunes to get the stem cells for rich people. Uh, you know, stem cell technology can happen in two ways. You can use your own stem cells taken from fat, for instance, using liposuction, or you can steal it from an unborn baby. You know, a third of the 
baby's sort of blood supply is in the cordon at the center and it's not meant to be clamped it's meant to be put on the chest with the baby and allowed to drain into the baby over, over minutes mm -hmm. the damage that's being done and not to mention circumcision i mean my god uh total insanity brutality you know which countries in the world are brutal i would suggest all around the arab world where they circumcise men america where they circumcise men you know if at a young age a tender age you're taken away from your mother or worse your mother voluntarily gives you to somebody who cuts the end of your penis off you're not going to trust your mother you're not going to trust women properly and you're more likely to kill perhaps or be violent i'm not you know I'm not, obviously lots of men are lovely people despite the circumcision but I think hospital births are demonic. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. And I remember us talking about the placenta last time, and you had said it was like the baby's first packed lunch. And I, I really liked that description. And I agree. I agree. It, it comes in to the world with the baby for a reason. We shouldn't try to cut off the baby's access to it as fast as we can because, I don't know, we know better or something. Or the doctor needs to get to his vacation because it's late on Friday afternoon and we got to get things going. So the C-section and all kinds of stuff happens, uh, not because it's for the mother or baby's benefit, but because it's part of the hospital birth process and the capitalization of making as much money on every little line item as possible, including that circumcision. And we really need to question why we do so many things. And you mentioned that you had hypnosis training in the past, and this came up last time too. You mentioned that you actually see a lot of reverse hypnosis in the language used by doctors and hospitals. I would assume that you've seen a whole lot more of that in this last year, right? Can you tell us maybe a little bit about some of the things we should be watching out for in that regard or examples where you have seen it in use in the past year or so? Well, I mean, it's in use with all the fear, isn't it? I mean, when all the media is utilizing hypnosis, the hypnotic language is crafted. The way that the phraseology on the news bulletins, it is hypnotic. And, you know, the doctors have been taken in by as much as anybody. I would like to just backtrack one point that people need to understand. With cesareans, in Brazil now, the rate of cesareans, I'm told, is over 90% of all births. Why would they do that? It's not just because the doctors want to go out and play golf or something. It's because when they take the baby out, it is sterile. It hasn't been through the vaginal canal. And then when there are advantages in the stem cell business for a surgical extraction of the baby, and again, I'm, I'm going to stop talking about babies. Um, <laughs> let's get positive, shall we? <laughs> we are self-repairing, and anybody who's ill really needs to look at, is the information I've been given by the doctor true? Do I need the drugs or could I even, so to speak, in this late stage, whatever that is, could I repair? I can give you some examples. Like I had this woman who had not been able to talk to her mum on the phone for two years because of the Alzheimer's, four tablespoonfuls of coconut oil, 
for 12 weeks and she was speaking back on the phone again, having reversed what she reckoned was two years of Alzheimer's. So remarkable things can happen. You know, an, another remarkable one is the effect of amino acids. So many people are low on dopamine and they become addicted because of the low dopamine levels that they were probably born with. And people have found that high doses of amino acids, the essential amino acids, i.e. the ones you have to eat, you can't make them, are repairing all sorts of damage, particularly with vegans. You know, one of the issues with vegans is they're low on amino acids because most amino acids come from animal products. And you can get amino acids by fermenting foods. But if somebody's a vegan listening to this and they're not eating fermented products or supplementing with amino acids, they are at risk over time in a similar way that if they're not supplementing with B12, it's a risk over time. You know, vegans tend to drop out after a while, could be years, but they can suddenly go incredibly weak. And then, you know, problems like teeth dropping out from lack of vitamin K2. You know, vegans have got some issues. You've got to be super intelligent to be a really healthy vegan, I reckon. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. And so let's talk about the offerings on your website because they have changed a bit in the last few years. You now operate, as you say, the Secret Health Club. Tell people a little bit about that and what they'll find there beyond just the section you kind of outlined earlier about pregnancy and childbirth. Well, there's pretty much a subject on most, most health issues you could imagine. There's stuff on the thyroid and you know pretty much everything you can think of. So it's a good reference material, and I've tried to not put too much information in there that people are overwhelmed. I've tried to narrow it down to look these 10 videos or these five articles or whatever, these are the keys. Yeah, so people don't waste time, really. And also, they can get discounts for products. So yeah, one way or another, it should pay for itself pretty much right away. And then on my Clive DeCarl website, there's the shop. And unfortunately, because of English regulations, on my Clive DeCarl website, I can't, I can't say very much. I couldn't make the claim that water would hydrate you, for example, because I've never done a clinical trial, double blind, with water to prove. So I can't say two years in jail if I were to claim that water hydrates you. And how do you do a double blind against water? There's nothing you could double blind water against. Hmm. On that note, people need to research what the placebo used was when they compared the vaccine they're thinking about with the placebo, because most placebos that they use weren't saline solution, as people might assume, but were other vaccines. You know, I think the brucellosis vaccine was the one that Pfizer compared theirs to. So they could say, you know, everybody gets, most people get a reaction from a vaccine, right? So they could legally say that the people who had the COVID vaccine had no more reactions than people taking the placebo. You see the trick there? Yeah. So most placebo-tested drugs were tested against other drugs. 
it's a con. The, the whole pharmaceutical industry is unsafe, deadly. Indeed, indeed. And whenever I do have health guests and they talk about zinc or vitamin C or magnesium, the audience is always saying, if you look at the comments, just tell me what brands to buy because quality is such a huge factor. They want these quick, easy answers. And when it comes to the mineral package offerings on your store, maybe you have them, right? I mean, you're sourcing the best quality stuff and it is right there for sale. Yeah. I mean, you know, I started a supplement company years ago because I couldn't figure out what to buy. And I realized that if I can't figure it out, other people can't as well. And I've just refined it over the years. And yeah, you want stuff that's not genetically modified. You want stuff that is as natural as possible. You know, in some cases, as fresh as possible. That doesn't apply to the iodine or the fulvic minerals, the fulvic minerals being 34 million years old already. If people say, should I keep it in the fridge? Well, look, 34 million years, you're just not going to be able to harm it even if you try. You know, what about the sell-by date? It's 34 million years old. Ignore the sell-by date. <laughs> good advice. Good advice. And I, I just like how confident you are in your positions and your products and protocols. It's very impressive. You have a lot of great results. If people watch your videos, you're going to hear the testimonials. You might even, even see uh, people healed live. So just really impressive. And I'm glad we got to talk again. A sound mind for troubled times. Thanks for being here and keep doing what you do. Well, thank you, Greg. You know, you've got a fantastic show. Love it. Thank you. Ah, I appreciate that. Well, stay safe, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk again in the future. Cool. And boom goes the dynamite. Doctor, leave them kids alone. Clive DeCarl, bring in the heat. Man, it just felt like it was time to come back to the best practices for taking care of ourselves in a natural way. Clive killed it last time, and I think he was great today as well. An interesting point that I thought he made was about the potential shortage of key vitamins, especially if we experience a future more dominated by viruses or respiratory illness than 2020 was. Kind of reminds me of the attack on holistic doctors. That was a big theme a few years ago. And when you put either one of those things in the context of this pandemic, it all sounds even more methodical. It would seem advantageous to put as big a dent as you can in holistic health thinking and bioterrain theory professionals before rolling out something like a surprise pandemic, to use Anthony Fauci's own quote. And yeah, aside from not being able to get good advice, they would also want you to not be able to get good products. I know there are guests in our distant past who have made comments about supplements and vitamins being systematically attacked and regulated out of existence or limited to such low doses that you can't even get the optimal benefits. So all that is just to say that it probably wouldn't be a bad idea to have a good six-month supply of the highest quality vitamins and fulvic minerals or amino acids. We talked about removing heavy metals from your system with silica in the second hour. We know 5G is coming. We know signals are exacerbated by heavy metals. Why not do a few treatments beforehand and put ourselves in the best positions for thriving despite all the bullshit going on? It definitely makes sense to me. 
it's this constant pressure on the holistic, naturopathic community, and it's not new, but in the current context, it should be obvious how important these people are. We cannot let them get shut out. The stakes are very high, and we have to not only appreciate their bravery, their willingness to put their necks on the line for our well-being, but we got to vote with our dollar when it comes to this stuff. Particularly, again, when it's a win-win for our health. Clive was kind enough to send me a package of products that has yet to arrive, and I also got some great stuff from Sophia Smallstorm, but I think it is about time that we prioritize this stuff. Clive and Sophia both lay it right out there. Vitamin C, vitamin D, which has a relationship with vitamins A and K, I believe. Magnesium, zinc, iodine, fulvic minerals. So many people tell us this little handful of stuff is really all you need. How much of it do you have? And I'm glad Sally Fallon Morell got a mention today because her big sticking point is getting this stuff from food. She finds the same components to health important, but isn't really recommending anybody take nine pills a day. You gotta eat well. And you gotta know what's in your food and what good sources of these things are, and then supplement when you know you missed the target. And Clive is definitely a source I trust. If you don't want to do the work, let Clive do it and buy from him or join the Secret Health Club. I definitely plan to do that and see if we don't find a slew of great people that would make really good guests for us here. So I really enjoyed this one. We got to touch on a lot of different stuff. The first hour was great. Of course, I'm preoccupied with the vaccine right now, probably the biggest health issue of our time. And I think it deserves more attention from me, from us, as to tracking the damage and what the experts that aren't on the payroll are saying. But in the second hour, we added quite a bit of stuff to the stack. Things like putting on muscle with fulvic minerals and amino acids, removing heavy metals with silica, like I mentioned. We went over a lot of common deficiencies and the self-healing solutions that you could implement. New discoveries and technologies that Clive finds most interesting, pulsed EMF and scalar devices, deuterium and what that's all about, hidden truths of dentistry, the relationship between tryptophan and happiness, and a lot of other little nuggets of wisdom sprinkled throughout. For a guy like Clive to be out here talking about a lot of these things in the face of this big machine, I think it's very courageous. I think he should show some appreciation because a lot of us are in positions where we can't be courageous, but <laughs> we definitely need to support the ones who are on our behalf or we will be left with nothing. I'm not really someone who thinks too much about making sure the most controversial parts of the interviews are being reserved for plus. That is a common criticism, but if that were true, I really wouldn't have started so hard on the vaccine stuff. I could have just waited for that. We could have talked about good old vitamin C right up front. But there's definitely something to be said about the conditions out there and how that tendency is working for people in my position. Like I can say right now, this one won't be on YouTube at all. That's not me, that's them. But anyway, yeah, just uh, sign up for Plus. Enter into a reciprocal exchange with me. And we're not going to worry about the outside world. We're not going to worry about YouTube. It's just the two of us, you and I. 
getting hard out there for a pimp, no doubt. But you can find the link right there at the top of the show notes or front and center at thehiresidechats.com if you're willing. And we're going to call that the show. Thanks for listening. It does mean a lot. You're all the best. And I look forward to walking this long road with you guys. We will be fine. But for now, I'm going to call this meeting of the Midnight Society closed. I'm getting out of here. Big thanks again to Clive. Check out his shop at clivedecarl.com. I've done my part. Your move, Rockefeller Medicine promoters, big pharma fuckers, and agents of the sick care system. Your fucking Sometimes when I get down, I eat a bunch of corporate junk. Process stuff that makes you fat. Yeah, it's a weak and sickly people making industry. Don't Technology, and every now and then I try to quit and leave it be, but it's too hard to turn it off. It's getting worse, and you.